Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good evening, children of the night. Come on into the cabin and find yourself somewhere comfortable to sit. We've got a bit of food and drink around, so help yourself. First up will be a short one, Olivia Bergen's Janie. Just before we dive into this one, I'll tell you a bit about how the sausage is made around here. We try to keep authors' biographical information that they provide when the story is accepted, and this one I couldn't find anything at all in our file, not even any contact information. So I reached out to Antoinette Bergen, thinking it too much of a coincidence that the author and narrator have the same last name. Turns out that Olivia is Antoinette's fictional cousin. The reason these sort of confusions happen is, and I've mentioned this before, Tales to Terrify has an enormous catalog of completed narrations of stories that are just waiting for us to send out to your ears, and another collection of submissions that are in the process of being narrated. In fact, to put things in perspective, it is now almost a year since we lost our founder, Mr. Larry Santaro. And we will run out of stories that he sought out or approved as submissions in 10 to 15 episodes from now, depending on how things shake out. I had been listening to a recent episode of Radiolab in which they had a conversation with Dr. Oliver Sachs, a friend of their podcast in which he speaks about the cancer that will likely be the end of him. And it brought me back memories of us losing one of ours to cancer as well. Over the last 11 months, I've received a decent amount of feedback and encouragement from all of you listening, and I always chuckle a bit whenever someone comments on how they like, or sometimes don't, how the stories or narrations have changed, because they haven't. With some exceptions, the stories and narrations that have aired on my watch were established under Larry's. Thank you for allowing me to reminisce for a moment, just before we get on to Olivia Bergen's story. I'd like to comment on the Stokers. In the past, 
We've done shows, ideally, leading up to or considing with the Horror Writer Association Stoker Awards. As you noticed, this year has not happened. It's not that we didn't care, and for you fine folks in the HWA, it's certainly not a snub. It's just a bad mix of real-life issues on part of the Tales to Terrify staff and our narrator bench being rebuilt. The Stoker stories have not been forgotten, but are simply delayed. So, stay tuned. And now, Olivia Bergen's Janie. The early morning sun shone starkly through the bedroom window onto Janie Pope's face. Janie was in the habit of leaving the Venetian blinds pulled halfway up so her pampered cat, Clementine, could easily navigate the windowsill. Few situations were as unnerving and potentially destructive as a frightened cat stuck between the slats of metal window shades. The bright sunlight was in direct contrast to the frosty bite of October in the air. Janie buried her face in the pillow and pulled the bedquilts tightly around her shoulders. Clementine opened a skeptical eye and quickly surmised it was not yet time to get up. She stretched out a paw and, similar to Janie, buried her face. As Janie slowly joined the awakening world, she was smacked abruptly with an all-too-familiar feeling of sickness and guilt. Her body stiffened underneath the covers as panic consumed her. Her grip on the quilts hardened into clenched fists, and for a moment, Janie braced herself to vomit. Her head was dizzied with a single vivid thought. Had she killed someone last night? This was not Janie's first experience waking up to this horrific question. There were countless mornings before this one when Janie could be found hiding beneath her bedding, desperately clutching Clementine against her body for comfort, while she painstakingly sorted through details of the previous night. Point one. She had gone out socially. Point two. She had been in a bar with friends. Point three. She drove home alone. Could she have killed someone with her car and not known it? Perhaps bumped over a person who had fallen in the road? It had been awfully dark. Maybe while turning a corner she clipped a pedestrian? Just a quick clip? but still with enough force to leave someone dying alone in the cold while Janie comfortably slept? After a few minutes of exercising a breathing technique she learned from a self-help video, Janie began the rationalizations. Point one. She did not drink any alcohol. Janie never drank alcohol. A lifetime of internal physical defects prohibited alcohol consumption. Janie did not even know what it felt like to be drunk. Point two. Drunk driving being completely ruled out, there was no logical reason to believe that she could have struck someone without knowing. Still, she traced the route home in her mind, trying to remember traveling the full length of each street. She attempted to recall every traffic light, every curve, every sound. Stopping just short of madness, Janie shook off these thoughts. Despite Clementine's protests, Janie rolled out of bed to go make a pot of coffee. She stared out the window with folded, worried arms while the coffee brewed. She studied her car, the side she could see anyway. No visible damage. She prepared her first cup of coffee, all the time promising herself she would not do what she already knew she was about to do. While sipping from her mug, she slowly circled her parked car. Wearing a coat over her pajamas, she carefully inspected the exterior of her silver Toyota for blood, dents, scrapes, cracks, anything to indicate a collision. It checked out okay. It always did. She assumed the neighbors thought her crazy, and she did not necessarily disagree. Once back inside, 
She skimmed the morning paper for articles about a ruthless hit-and-run driver. There were none. While she dressed, she listened to the local news on the television to make sure she was not the target of a manhunt in progress. She was not. Janie knew that within a couple days this feeling would subside. She would vow not to go out socially anymore. She would honor this self-imposed oath for several weeks, perhaps several months if she kept occupied. Eventually, boredom would always win, and Janie would succumb to a co-worker's invitation for a night out. This nightmarish process had been repeating itself for years. Janie had never been professionally diagnosed with a mental disorder. She would not dare confess these fears to a psychiatrist who might add things up and connect her to an unsolved crime. Instead, she had done her own research. Her first discovery was a phobia called perketophobia, described as a fear of sinning or committing imaginary crimes. This self-diagnosis fit... Janie's upbringing had been strictly religious, which could account for part of her delusions. Maybe on a subconscious level, she thought the mere act of going to a bar, even just for dancing or karaoke, was sinful and cause for punishment. She read and learned more about obsessive-compulsive and anxiety disorders. Obtaining prescription drugs, which may provide some relief, required a doctor, and therefore was not an option. So Janie's life continued on in this grueling cycle. The early morning sun shone starkly through the bedroom window onto Janie Pope's face. She had been out the night before, so it was not long until she was in the driveway, surveying the silver Toyota, coffee mug in hand. It was the beginning of a warm June day, so there was no explanation for the bitter cold that solidified her as she stared catatonically at the dent in the passenger-side fender. A tangle of blonde hair wafted gently in the summer breeze. It was anchored to the silver paint by a dark red, almost brown smudge. Janie told herself this was a cruel hoax being played by hateful neighborhood kids. No. No one knew how she quietly suffered. Janie stumbled to the front porch where she sat somberly on the concrete steps. The cup of coffee she held firmly in her hands had gone tepid. Could there be a dead dog sprawled across the nearby street, killed by Janie's carelessness? Maybe. Could the wispy strands of hair blowing out from the wheel well be human? No. Definitely no. But maybe. She should take a closer look. She should get in the car to... Oh, God. She should at least go inside and... Janie, still clad in her pajamas, leaned her head against the wooden railing and closed her eyes. She would certainly hear the police sirens soon. She would wait. She would just sit and wait. That was Olivia Bergen's Janie, as read to us by Antoinette Bergen... Antoinette Bergen is twisted and dark, sarcastic and pessimistic, weird and demented. All these things combine somehow to make her absolutely adorable. She's the author of Bedtime Stories for Children You Hate, and has been known to mail packages of lime jello to people she deems worthy. She can be found on Twitter as at Nettie underscore Bergen, and probably won't harm you if you follow her. Our main fiction for the evening will be Alan Baxter's Mirror Walk. Alan is a Ditmar Award-nominated British-Australian author. He writes horror, dark fantasy, and sci-fi, rides a motorcycle, and loves his dog. He also teaches kung fu. He is the author of the dark fantasy thriller novels Realm Shift and Mage Sign, co-authored the short horror novel Dark Right with David Wood, and has around 50 short stories published in a variety of journals and anthologies in Australia, the U.S., the U.K., and France. 
including the year's best Australian fantasy and horror, 2010 and 2012. Allen is represented by literary agent Alex Adset of Alex Adset Publishing Services. Read extracts from his novels, a novella, and short stories at his website, www.alanbaxteronline.com, or find him on Twitter at Alan Baxter, or Facebook, or Google+, and feel free to tell him what you think about anything. Of course, links will be in the show notes. And now, Alan Baxter's Mirror Walk. How can it possibly be real? Why not? You can see it's old. Well, Grandad is old too, but that doesn't make him anything particularly special. Peter shrugged. Point. But seriously, don't you think this looks, I don't know, authentic? He turned the scroll over in his hands, looking at it from all angles, stroking the aged, dry surface. What's it made of? Claire asked. Some kind of skin? Dunno. Looks like it. Is it called vellum? I seem to remember that from history. History classes were a long time ago for both of us, Claire said with a laugh. She reached out and touched the scroll, one finger tracing the length of it. It kind of gives me the creeps. Tell me again what it says. Peter read silently for a moment. The first part is to set up the mirror for travelling. The second part is to select your destination. The third part is for protecting you on the journey. It's all pretty straightforward. The last part says... Forget ye not the reflection past. Then it's torn off. All the instructions are here, though. I'm going to try it. Claire shook her head, blonde bob swinging beside her derogatory smile. And what do you expect to happen? Well, maybe nothing. You'll be able to take the piss then, but imagine if it works. Claire took a deep breath, still smirking and shaking her head. All right. What do you need to do? And where are you going to go? Peter pointed at the wardrobe. Well, I found it among Grandad's things in the wardrobe there, which has a full-length mirror on it, and there's that big mirror above the fireplace downstairs. I'm going to try that first. Short and simple. I am going to wet myself laughing when you walk into that mirror and break your nose. Claire sat down on the bed, crossed her legs and arms. But go on, go on. I'll bear witness to your magic. Peter stared at his sister for a minute. I really, really hope this works. Claire laughed. All those years of role-playing and horror movies have addled what little brains you ever had. No wonder you're still single. Peter gave her the finger in a brotherly way and turned back to face the wardrobe. He took a long, deep breath, then held the vellum up before his face. Mirror bright, reflecting light, let me pass beyond thine eye, he intoned seriously, ignoring Claire's giggles. Constantia Permio. Brother and sister suddenly paused, their breath suspended. "'Did you see that?' whispered Peter, eventually. "'Dunno. You did right. The mirror kind of rippled. Must have been sunlight or something.' Peter very cautiously approached the mirror, one hand outstretched. His fingers trembled. As he got closer, he held his breath again, painfully slow, Almost reluctant, he moved his fingers towards the silvered surface of the mirror. As his fingertips touched what should have been glass, he jumped, the reflection like a stone landing in a pond as ripples swam concentrically away from his touch. Behind him, Claire gasped. Fuck me, Peter said, very quietly.
Claire's voice had changed. She sounded like a little girl, Peter's little sister. Pete, this is amazing. Not what I was going to say. What were those words at the end? Latin? Claire's voice was small, frightened. Peter shrugged. Dunno, maybe. I think they are the most powerful bit, though. When I said the English bit, it seemed like a nursery rhyme, but when I said those last two words, I sort of felt the first bit, I don't know, kind of harden, become real. Hard to explain. He stepped back, held up the vellum scroll again. It says here that the traveller must be able to picture in his mind's eye the required destination and then describe it in detail. He needs to request the mirror's permission to grant him passage to his desired location. Okay, here goes. Mirror, eye on roads concealed, permit my travels now revealed. The big brass-framed mirror above the fireplace here at Stanley Ford's house. Iter itinerus licentio. Two sharp intakes of breath accompanied a pulse of silver light that flashed out from the mirror. I suppose that's my permission, Peter said. I really don't know if I like this, Claire said. Seriously, Pete, what the hell is happening here exactly? Magic, I think. Claire stood up and came to stand beside her brother. Think about it, Petey. Magic? Our old granddad is in hospital from a heart attack, and we find magic spells in his wardrobe. We're not in some C.S. Lewis novel here. We're grown-ups. I have two kids at home, for Christ's sake. This stuff simply doesn't happen. Peter looked at his sister, stared deep into her eyes for a long moment. Then he smiled the half-smile that always charmed and infuriated her, kissed her forehead. Listen to yourself. You're not making any more sense than the magic. He looked back at the mirror. Now for protection. Mirror, grant me strides unharried. Demons all be held and parried. Demons? Claire's voice was alarmed. Peter ignored her. Hostilus impedio. Nothing happened. Peter looked at Claire, one eyebrow raising a question. Claire shook her head. If that didn't work, then you should be worried. Peter smiled. It felt the same as the others. The dumb rhyme suddenly felt strong as soon as I said the Latin. Claire made a face that said more than words could. It told of confusion, fear, and still a bit of scepticism. So what now? Well, according to this scroll, the traveller is now at liberty to step into the mirror and keep his strides strong and full of purpose until his destination is reached. A journey should take no more than two score paces within the chill dark of the mirror roads, regardless of the distance traversed in the human world. Ha, human world. That'd be us. Claire was shaking her head. This is all just too darn freaky for my liking. Old Grandad Stan, eh? Bit of a dark horse. We were just supposed to come and collect some things for him. We shouldn't be snooping around his stuff. Of course not. This is why. No wonder we were never allowed in here. Just leave it, Pete. Let's take his things and get back to the hospital. Mum will be wondering where we are, and Grandad's really sick. We should be there. Peter shook his head. We've come this far. If this all works, then I should be able to step into this mirror and come out of the one downstairs. How long will that take? Not more than two score paces. What's the score? Twenty. So, no more than forty paces for the longest journey. This will only be about a half a step, then. Peter reached out his hand again, more confidently this time. When his fingers reached the mirror surface, causing ripples once more, he took a deep breath and thrust his hand in up to the elbow. There was no resistance at all. 
Whew, it's cold in there. Petey, don't. Peter winked at his sister and stepped purposefully into the mirror, the silvery surface swelling and flexing as it swallowed him up, and he was gone. There was a crash and a cry of pain from downstairs. Claire made a constricted sound of fear and ran from the room. Taking the stairs two at a time, she hit the hallway running, skidded into the living room. Peter was laying on the floor before the fireplace, laughing and wincing at the same time, holding his left elbow. Ornaments were scattered across the hearth rug. Something flickered and then faded in the large brass-framed mirror above. I should have anticipated that this mirror was four feet off the ground. Claire stared, open-mouthed. It worked, Peter said, incredulous. He rubbed his elbow vigorously and got back to his feet, started picking up photo frames and candlesticks. It bloody worked. I took one step in complete darkness and freezing cold. Then my second step landed on nothing and I fell onto the floor here. Claire shook her head. This is wrong. It, it can't be real. Peter held up the vellum scroll in one hand, his other palm up in supplication. Here I am. I have to try to go further. He staggered and grabbed for the back of an armchair. Claire ran forward, grabbing his shoulder. What's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. I, I just felt dizzy for a second. It's past now. Come on, let's get Grandad his stuff, then I can play with this some more. He hasn't woken up yet. The doctor said that he may not. Peter and Claire looked at their mother, looked at the tears riding her lashes. Their grandfather lay among tubes and censers, electronic lines of fragile life dancing slowly around his head. He looked incredibly frail lying there, incredibly old. Claire was crying softly. He may not ever wake up again. Peter asked quietly. Is that what the doctor meant? His mother nodded, laying one hand on her father's thin arm. Her husband, their father, laid a hand on his wife. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life's shoulder 
unable to do anything else that would matter. The family were all silent for a long time, staring at the last member of a generation slowly slipping away. Peter sat in his flat, staring at the walls. Claire had gone home to her husband and kids while his parents had stayed with old Stan. But Peter couldn't stay. He suddenly seemed to have more questions for the old man than he had ever imagined he would. And now he may never get to ask them. He unrolled the vellum scroll and read through the words, eyes following the ancient ink, spreading and fading with age. The curl of the littering, the feel of the hide. He had walked through a mirror at his grandfather's house. He stood up and walked slowly to his bedroom, stood before his own built-in wardrobes, floor-to-ceiling mirrored doors. He straightened his back and shook himself, then read from the scroll again. Mirror bright, reflecting light, let me pass beyond thine eye. Constantia Permio. The large doors rippled as the glass became something more like a vertical pool of oil than solid glass. Mirror, eye on roads concealed, permit my travels now revealed, to Grandad Stan's bedroom wardrobe, Ita Itinerus Licentio. A silver flash raced through the room and was gone. Mirror, grant me strides unharried, demons all be held and parried, Hostilus Impedio. Without pause, Peter stepped forward and walked straight through his bedroom wardrobe mirror. Absolute blackness and icy coldness grasped his body. He ignored it and walked on, two, three steps. As a fleeting breeze of panic washed up from his loins, the fourth step brought him into warmth and a different kind of dark. This was a room with the light off, not the empty nothingness between the mirrors. He could see his grandfather's bed, neatly made, crisp sheets, smooth blankets. He stood still, breathing deeply. He felt the urge to turn around, look back into the mirror. As he turned, a wave of dizziness, like before, flooded over him, and he staggered, dropping to one knee. Then the dizziness passed. The mirror was solid and still. Peter knelt in his grandfather's silent bedroom, twenty kilometres from his flat in central Sydney. He couldn't help a small smile tugging at the corners of his mouth, a feeling of elation fluttering through his heart. The potential of this was frightening. Peter got to his feet and turned on the light. A book of English castles and manor houses lay on the nightstand. He picked up the book and thumbed through the pages, looking at the pictures. A smile spread across his face and he paused, looking intently at a page of colour plates. Windsor Castle, an official residence of the Queen of England, started by William the Conqueror in the 1070s. One of the photos showed the state apartments there, lavishly decorated formal rooms with heavy red and gold velvet curtains, ornate sofas and chairs, polished chandeliers and candelabras, intricate scrollwork and base relief on high ceilings, and a floor-to-ceiling mirror in one corner. Peter turned to face his grandfather's wardrobe and recited the spell again. When he reached the second part, he described the room in the photo and the mirror in the corner, then ensured protection and strode into the mirror. The cold and dark took his breath away. Squeezing his eyes shut, gritting his teeth, Peter placed one foot before the other and refused to think about anything but the picture in his grandfather's book, still gripped tightly in one hand. His other hand 
held the scroll. The cold became painful as he took step after step, ten, eleven, twelve. Would the cold kill him before he reached the other side? Eighteen, nineteen, twenty. He forced himself to take deep breaths as his short, shallow gasps were making him light-headed. The air burned icily into his lungs, his bladder strained as he was suddenly desperate to urinate. Behind his eyelids, his eyeballs ached like they were freezing solid. Twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one. Peter's body trembled all over, an uncontrollable shiver in every muscle. His hands and feet were numb. He feared that he would stumble and fall. What would happen then? Thirty-four, thirty-five. Light burned through his eyelids, and warmth like a desert wind flooded over his body. Peter snapped his eyes open, squinting against the light, gasping in the thick, warm air as he dropped to his hands and knees. The scroll and book dropped onto the cream and red rug beneath him. He looked around. He was in the state apartments at Windsor Castle. He tipped his head back and laughed, fear dissipating in a euphoria he had never felt before. It had worked. He was in England, from the suburbs of Sydney to southern England in thirty-five steps. Everything tipped. Blackness swam in at the edges of his vision, and giddiness swept through his brain. He felt as though the mirror behind him was pulling him backwards. Nausea accompanied the dizziness this time, and he couldn't hold it back. With a surprised cough, he vomited on the carpet. As he was sick, the blackness receded. A few deep breaths, and he began to feel better again. Sitting back on his heels, Peter stared at his half-digested dinner before him. He wasn't sure what to do. Then the thought of what he had done led to the realisation that maybe he shouldn't be where he was. Regardless of the method of his arrival, were the public even allowed in this part of the castle? What time was it? He had left Sydney late in the evening, but it was light here. Was Sydney ten hours ahead of England? Twelve? Grabbing his book and scroll, Peter hurried from the room and skulked along corridors, heart pounding, frantically seeking a way out. Eventually he found a door with a window that looked onto gardens. There was a key in the lock which he turned and let himself out. Looking guiltily around for anyone, official or otherwise, he carefully closed the door behind him. It clicked solidly. Moments later he was strolling casually through the grounds of Windsor Castle with the tourists, trying hard not to laugh out loud. He couldn't believe his luck. But he couldn't count on that all the time. He would have to plan more carefully the times he travelled and the places he travelled too. But travel he would. He could go anywhere in the world that had a mirror in it. He just needed to collect photos, and he could see the world. Peter casually strolled the grounds of Windsor Castle, slowly heading to the exit, then wandering through the streets of Windsor. The black and white of the Tudor buildings charmed him as he thought of all the places with mirrors and the things he could do. His mind tumbled with ideas, thinking about the difficulties he would encounter and how to circumvent them. After a while he realised that he was incredibly hungry. He saw a cafe, but had about five or six dollars worth of change in his pocket and nothing else. His wallet was on the table in his flat, and Australian dollars wouldn't get him much to eat in Windsor. But he had plenty of food at home. Entering the cafe, he smiled at the lady behind the counter. Do you have a toilet I can use before I order? 
The lady smiled and pointed. Second on the left, love. In the bathroom, Peter stared into the mirror above the sinks. It was only about two feet square. Still, there was no reason it wouldn't work like the others. He read out the spell, described his built-ins at home, and took a deep breath. He knew this time that it was a long, cold walk. He climbed up onto the sinks and crawled into the icy silver square. Groping blindly in the blackness, he fell forward and landed heavily. The surface beneath his hands and knees was hard, glassy, and so cold it burned. He felt his fingers and palms begin to stick to it, freezing with it, and quickly stood. He walked purposefully forward, determined not to run. He counted the thirty-five steps back and staggered into his bedroom, the mirror seeming to drag at him as he stumbled for the bathroom and vomited noisily into the toilet. Up and down switched places before everything settled. He hoped that his body would get used to the journeys the more often he took them, and that this dizziness and nausea would stop. But it was a small price to pay. After a few minutes he felt normal again except for a heavy tiredness. His hunger was back with a vengeance. As he went into the kitchen to find something to eat, he texted clear. You won't believe where I've been. Don't tell anyone about the mirror thing. Our secret. Call you in the morning. What did the doctors say? Same. The family stood around Stan's bed, staring down at the withered old man with the wires and tubes. Did they suggest that there might be any change at all? Claire asked. Her mother shrugged. They said that he might wake up, but even if he does, there could be brain damage. Or he may not wake up. They're being very non-committal. She took a deep breath. If he doesn't wake up, then we have to decide at some point whether or not to keep all these machines on. Oh. Claire began crying and held on to Peter's arm, her head on his shoulder. Peter gritted his teeth against his own tears and stroked her hair. You look ill. Claire's eyes were stern. I was up late last night. Peter ate his sandwich in the hospital canteen like it was the first thing he'd had in days. You didn't tell Bob about the mirror thing. Nah, I got your text. What would I tell him anyway? He'd think I was mad. Claire's eyes narrowed. Seriously, you look really ill. Hungry? Peter laughed. <laughs> Ravenous. Anyway, guess where I was last night. Peter sat in his apartment, gripping a small backpack on his lap, fuming. Claire had been impressed enough about the whole Windsor Castle thing, but she was just so damn sensible. He got up and walked into the bedroom, looked into his built-in mirror doors. He did look a bit pale, he supposed, a bit drawn, but then he hadn't slept well the night before. He had got back late, his head was full of thoughts and ideas, and he was worried about Grandad Stan. Balls to it. He had a selection of photos and he planned to do some travelling. He had always wanted to see Los Angeles and had a photo of a hotel room, a room that he hoped was unoccupied right now. He said the spells, described the room, and walked the icy path across the world. When he emerged from the mirror in LA, the first thing he saw was clothes on the bed and suitcases on the floor. Then the nausea hit. As he staggered for the bathroom, he thought he caught sight of a figure in the mirror he had just emerged from. A mild panic struck that there was someone in the room. Then the vomit came. He managed to get to the toilet. 
Giddy and sick, he knelt on the cool tiles for some time, feeling awful. He seemed to be mistaken about someone else being there. It took several minutes before he felt normal again. Was this sickness getting worse with each trip? Surely he should be getting less sick each time. Eventually he felt normal enough to walk and quietly let himself out of the room. Once he was in the corridor, heading for the lift, the sickness seemed to have passed. He felt wobbly and tired, but otherwise fine. And he was in L.A. This time he was prepared. His bag had a traveller's survival kit, including his mobile phone set up for international roaming, some U.S. currency, even an L.A. street map he'd downloaded. As he walked through the hotel lobby, a couple walking towards him paused, mouths twisted. He returned their look, one eyebrow raised. Without a word, they gave him a wide berth, their faces showing some mix of concern and disgust. Peter looked around and saw a mirrored wall. Walking up to it, his heart skipped a beat. He looked terrible. His skin was almost grey, a, a pallor of sickness, his eyes sunken. He looked like he had lost a couple of kilos. He stared at himself for a few minutes, stunned. But he was here now, and could only hope that his body would get used to the travelling. He was ravenously hungry again, and went off in search of the famous American portion sizes, giant hamburgers, mountains of fries. By the time he had eaten more than he ever thought he was capable of eating, he began to feel a lot better. He hoped that he looked better, too. He had been wandering around L.A., seeing things he'd always dreamed of seeing, when he got a message on his phone. It was from Claire. Grandad woke up, V-sick. Come quickly. Peter stared at the message. The old man was awake. Peter tapped out a reply. Great news. Am in L.A., heading back right now. As Peter looked around himself, wondering where he might find a mirror, his phone beeped. WTF? I really don't like this. P. Peter shook his head and wrote a reply. Don't worry. I can talk to Grandad about it now. Claire didn't respond. Peter headed for a diner on the corner ahead of him. He was soon sitting on the floor in his own bathroom, recovering from another bout of violent sickness and disorientation. When he looked in the mirror this time, he appeared positively cadaverous. Something tightened in the pit of his stomach. This was really bad. There was no way he should be suffering this much. His granddad had always been in the most robust health, even this heart attack coming as a complete surprise to everyone. Then a cold realisation billowed up from Peter's gut. What if the old man had never used this magic? What if he knew nothing about it being real, that it was just some curiosity he had hoarded? Grabbing a loaf of bread from the kitchen, stuffing slices plain and unbuttered into his mouth, Peter staggered out to his car and drove to the hospital. As he made his way to his grandfather's room, people looked at him with mouths agape, or frowns of horror or concern. Each time he passed a mirror, he saw himself and winced. He looked terrible. He was grey and emaciated, his hair thin, his eyes swollen and red in deep black sockets. When he arrived in his grandfather's room, his mother gasped, one hand flying to her mouth. His father stared, uncomprehending. Claire was sitting by the bed. Oh, Peter. Old Stan lay on the bed looking weaker than ever. His eyes found Peter and seemed to take a moment to focus. They travelled up and down, narrowed and roomy. 
Then they closed, and Stan's face was a mask of despair. Peter's parents and sister were silent, shocked, looking from Peter to each other. Old Stan's eyes opened again. He tried to say something. He's incredibly weak, Peter's mother said in a strained voice. The doctors are amazed he woke up, but they said... Her voice trailed off in a gentle sob. She stared at Peter, unable to understand what she saw. Peter stepped up to the bed, leant down close to his grandfather's face. The old man's mouth worked dryly, cracked lips folded over where his teeth should be. So sorry, you need to know. The old man's voice was barely a whisper. His eyes were full of sorrow. Bedside table. Then his eyes closed again, and a deep sigh rose up from his chest with a soft rattle of phlegm. A sharp alarm sounded from one of the machines beside the bed. A nurse came running in, and the family were ushered to one side as a throng of doctors and nurses hurried around the bed, busy with instructions and syringes. After a couple of minutes, the frantic activity slowed, and faces fell, resigned. Peter's mother began sobbing loudly, the real cry she had been denying herself until now, as the doctor shook his head. I'm very sorry, Mrs. Blackman. Peter sat on his grandfather's bed, incredibly weak, trembling. His eyes were wide, terrified, haunted. Claire sat beside him, held his hand, crying softly. The letter from their grandfather's bedside table lay on the floor where Peter had dropped it. She could still read it from where she sat. Dear Mr. Ford, What you have there is a truly valuable and incredible thing. I have seen it before, but never an original like yours. I am so pleased that you went to the considerable trouble of finding me and seeking my help, for what you are missing is of incredible importance. Remember that magic like this must remain a secret, and I give you this knowledge under that strict understanding, and for your own protection. You are one of us now, and our ways must remain in the shadows. The missing text in the powerful old spell you have is perhaps the most important part. It should read, Forget ye not the reflection past is part of your very soul, and as such must never be forgot. Each time you walk the mirror's paths, a piece of thyself is left behind. Ye must return the way ye came to collect thy reflection, or that part of ye will be lost for ever. Whether you believe in the soul or not, a man's very life essence is at risk with this magic. That man can die very quickly, Mr. Ford, if he lets these pieces of himself be lost. So remember, magic is not to be used casually or lightly and you must always consider very carefully before you utilize this priceless thing that you have found. Yours in the arts, Pierre-Luc de Fontaine. End. That was Alan Baxter's Mirror Walk, as read to us by Matt Cowens. Matt Cowens is a Kapiti New Zealand-based high school teacher and writer. He is the co-author of Mansfield with Monsters, a mashup of Catherine Mansfield's stories with monstrous, fantastic, and horrific elements. 
His wife and collaborator, Debbie Cowens, is the author of Murder and Matchmaking, a Sherlock Holmes meets Pride and Prejudice novel of serial murder and detectiving. It is published by Steam Press and is available on Amazon, in bookstores throughout New Zealand, or directly from the publisher at www.steampress.co.nz. Link will be in the show notes. And that will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Take care of each other and come join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.